Hey guys, and welcome back to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith, happy to be with you. And on today's episode, we have a special guest um, interview with James Muir, who is the author of the book, The Perfect Close. And James and I had a chance to sit down recently and go through um, a very important subject uh, for sellers out there today. And that's how do you effectively sell into the C-suite? How is it different than selling to the initial round of stakeholders? What do you need to do to keep that deal advancing and to engage with the C-suite and to put them over the top and to decide in your favor? So before we get into the interview, again, I want to thank everyone who has subscribed and listens regularly to the podcast. I want to encourage you guys, as I always do, to share the podcast out with friends of yours if you think it'll be valuable. Um, Subscribe when you can. Leave us a review or a rating. Um, And again, thanks for your continued support. So let's get into the interview, and then um, please send me any feedback or comments you have. And for sure, you need to follow James Muir, M-U-I-R, and get his book, The Perfect Close. Talk to you soon. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith, your host. Very exciting episode today. We've got a special guest, James Muir, who is one of the leading subject matter experts on sales and selling. James, welcome to the program. It's a true delight to have you on today. Dan, thanks for having me on. I've been waiting with bated breath to be on. Very exciting. (laughs) Um, So how did I meet James? How did I hear of James? Um, A lot of what I've been working on lately is working with companies on how to ask the right questions, you know, how to do the proper um, discovery, um, you know, how to uncover issues, how to be more consultative. And I just felt like there wasn't really a lot of good material out there. So I started searching through Google, of course, <clears throat> and the best, <clears throat> sorry, and the best article I found was an article from this guy, James Muir, on his website, Pure Muir, which I think is great, who I'd never heard of before. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is great. And it was just such a thoughtful article with super high impact questions, very consultative. And I said, man, oh man, I've got to connect with this guy. And um, it really has been a pleasure getting to know you. One of the additional benefits of this relationship has been the book I'm holding right here called The Perfect Close, which James wrote, which I have to recommend to everybody, which is really one of the better books that I have read, one of the more complete books on sales and selling that I have read over the last number of years. So definitely go and pick this up. Definitely go and follow James. Um, he really knows his stuff. James, give us a little bit of background on you and, and, and uh, for the audience who might not know you. Absolutely, thanks for the kind words there. Um, well, uh, as you, I'm James Muir. I'm the president of Best Practice International and um, I'm the author of that book right there, best-selling book of Perfect Close. And what we do is we specialize in uh, B2B complex sales. So we're, we're dealing with executive decision makers pretty much on every opportunity. At least that's the kind of groups that we work with. And um, our job is basically just to make the salespeople, the VPs and the executives inside those organizations as effective as they can be. Fantastic, fantastic. So you're, and, and your focus is um, more in which uh, industries? So mostly healthcare. So probably in the 80, 90%, we work with healthcare organizations. Excellent. Excellent. Um, So for today's topic, you know, we like to do some of these interviews around a topic. 
Um, one of the areas that I'm coming across, and I'm sure you are as well, is in some of these complex decisions, these complex selling processes, um, there are many, many stakeholders. Um, and you're continually needing to advance the call and more people typically join in. So, you know, one of the issues that's coming up is the salespeople are doing okay initially. You know, then they move into, uh, you know, kind of the later phases where some of the senior executives come in and they're starting to have some issues connecting um, in really speaking and selling to senior executives. So I wanted to explore with you and get your thoughts on, you know, what are you seeing out there? What are people doing wrong today when they're meeting with senior executives? And kind of what do they really need to do? How do they need to shift the conversation when the C-suite gets involved? Well, it's, that's a good question. And I remember when I first got involved and started selling to executives, I, I was very apprehensive about meeting with them. I, you know, I had put them on this pedestal and you know, question my worthiness of whether or not I, it was okay for me to speak to these guys. So I think one of the first things you gotta do is just realize that really they're just like you. They put their pants on one leg at a time. They're just human beings. And when you have them one-on-one -on -one somewhere, they'll tell you all about their family woes and all that kind of stuff. So they're still human beings just like everybody else. But they are interested in different things than other folks are. So when you're talking to a CEO or a CFO, well, they have very specific things that they're interested in, you know, uh, and so it's important for us to learn all we can about them, about their company, about their competitors, about their industry. You know, they are counting on us to bring them insight and new ideas. And the, and the more we can mean to them, of course, then the more they're going to end up meaning to us. And, um, and some of the things that, you know, maybe um, salespeople don't think about is they need to be thinking about uh, things the way they do. And so that means internal factors, things like operational drivers or financial drivers. And, and, and that might even require that you learn some new terminology that you didn't know before. Like uh, they got their own language for talking about these things if you're not familiar with it. So if you don't know what EBITDA is, then you're, you're gonna have to teach yourself what EBITDA is or what EPS is or what GAP is or what SOX is or what a 10K is, right? All of those things are, that's the language that they use. And so if you wanna, uh, have rapport with these guys, you, you need to have at least that minimum level of vocabulary under your belt so that they feel like they're talking to someone who can speak to what their goals are. And, and then there's a whole set of external factors too that they're very interested in. That, that's things like, you know, uh, supplier or partner drivers. What's, what are their customers experiencing? What are the drivers for the competition that's out there? Or what's happening in regulation for them? You know, those kinds of things. And then of course, each exec has got a very specific set of things that they're interested in. So a CEO has very different interests than a CIO, right? And you know, the, a CEO is thinking about, you know, how do I keep, how do I attract customers? How do I keep them loyal? How do I increase market share? Things like that. A CFO is much more financial in their focus. They're much more focused on how do I cut costs? Um, so a, a CFO is gonna respond to a cost cutting measure much more positively uh, than a uh, an upside, an increase in revenue, right? So, and then a CIO, mostly they're tasked with putting all this together using the technology that they have. So um, to be candid, they wanna keep their workload to the bare minimum, but still do a quality job of that, right? So mostly when new opportunities come their way, they're mostly thinking this is work, right? So they can be a barrier. But anyway, I mean, we, we I don't wanna belabor that, but they all have slightly different drivers 
So it's important for you to know kind of what makes them tick. And, and I would maybe, um, Dan, I would just recommend a couple of books for your listeners. Um, a really great book that everybody should read is called Selling to the C-Suite. And I think the authors, um, Stephen Bistritz and the other guy's name is uh, Nick Reed, I think, Nicholas Reed. Um, and the other one is called The Key to the C-Suite, and that's by Michael Nick. And uh, they're both great books. Michael Nix is a little different in that all of the terminology that you're probably going to need to know if you're talking the, the world of business and finance, it's all going to be in that book. So you don't have to go buy an accounting book to figure that out. You can just get his book and he'll tell you what it is in very short, simple terms in the context of what selling needs to know. So it's probably the shortest path to learn all that stuff. So those are two really good resources that you can tap into. So um, did that kind of kick us off yeah. where you wanted to go? Yeah, no, no, that, that's perfect. So let's start to, to break this down a little bit. So what it's telling me is that there is really going to be uh, uh, another gear you've got to get into in terms of um, uh, number one, the preparation, right? Um, so, you know, where you may have been narrowly focused on kind of a, a singular problem working with a, a specific stakeholder, when you now are getting ready for that executive meeting, you have to start expanding your thinking, starting to think a little bit more strategically. Um, but what can you start to do in the preparation to start to get ready um, to address all of these uh, potential areas that you need to kind of be conversant in? Okay, that's a super good question because these executives, we, we tend to get less access to these senior executives than we get to the rest of their teams. And, um, and because of that, the time we spend them is really critical, right? How we, how we sell to them is a sample of how we solve. So they're going to take this really narrow window of time that they have with us, and they're going to extrapolate that into what they think their experience is going to be with our whole company over time, right? So it is like seriously mission critical that the, 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 the few minutes that we have or the hour that we have with them is going to be top notch. We want that sample to be perfect. So the key is to, to just plan ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, there's, you know, I, I, if I kept it simple, you know, there's kind of three basic questions you want to answer. And then I would rec highly recommend that, uh, that they create an agenda, which will help them kind of check all the boxes off when they prepare. But, you know, before we go in to see an exec, we should know the answer to why, why should this guy see me? What's the upside for this executive, right? And that gets to the core of our value proposition. Um, you know, what is it that I could do with or for this executive that's going to be a win for them that's going to make a difference right um second is we should go into the meeting with a goal of what we hope the outcome is going to be right more than just meeting the executive but we want something productive to come out from it something that's going to move the cell forward it's going to advance it a little bit so you should think through that a little bit what's going to be the ideal outcome we could go for and then we want to have a couple of other options just in case the executive is not ready for the one that we're hoping for so we want a little, like a little menu of possible outcomes of that meeting. And then um, finally, we, we want to make sure that this is a valuable meeting for them. So we want to think just a little bit, well, what can I do to add some value to this meeting so that um, they're su pleasantly surprised that their time, I think uh, Forrester did a survey a little while back and they discovered that 85% of meetings with salespeople, the executive is disappointed or underwhelmed. In other words, the meeting failed their expectations of what they were going to get out of the meeting. So that means about one in six meetings, a salesperson's actually producing enough value to make it worthwhile to an exec. 
So we need to think a little bit about what can we do to add some value that's inherently valuable, making the meeting itself inherently valuable with, their, um, with the executives. So um, maybe I'll pause there for a second. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And it leads us to something that you go into in, in a good amount of depth in the book. You know, we hear a lot about this. How do we deliver insights? How do we create value? How do we add value? But, um, you know, how do we do it? We need to do these things, right? Um, you know, uh, there is also that stat that said only uh, one in one in seven or one in, I'm not sure what it is. It's 17%, only 17% of salespeople are getting a second meeting. So they're unimpressing in general. So, and also you go into here that there's unexpected value. That is one of the key, you know, elements. So if I'm a salesperson and I'm getting ready for this big executive meeting, what do I do? How do I get insights? How do I deliver unexpected value? So there's a whole, there's a whole list of that, uh, of things that you can do. Uh, uh, but the number one thing you can do is provide insight. That is teach them or share something with them that they don't know. And, um, and I would just say, uh, you can find that by studying their industry. Uh, yeah. Just an example that we used to do since we work with hospitals a lot is we would meet with the hospital and we would have a report from Merritt and Hawkins that showed what the value of uh, the physicians in the community were to their. So it was monetized value. Like you know, a cardiology refers $2 million to the hospital in business and in labs and in you know, CT scans and ultrasounds and things like that um, every year. And so that report, whether the, whether the meeting turned out to be a, a success for the salesperson or not, we knew the executive was going to get value out of the meeting because they were going to get access to this new data. And, and we, by the way, we used that data in our presentation to them. So uh, it was relevant. You know, you don't, don't just throw insight in there. That's completely, it should be insight needs to be novel. It needs to be new for whoever you're sharing it to. It needs to be relevant to what they're doing, what you're doing and what you're doing. It needs to be actionable. It needs to be something they can do about it. If it's death and taxes and there's nothing they can do, don't share it. Right. That's not going to get you any mileage uh, with the executive. So, but insights, the number one thing, and probably the second best thing is uh, just to ask uh, facilitative or questions that actually cause them to cognate a little bit. Um, I would argue with executives, uh, that's secondary. They, they don't want you, um, they're learning on their time. So you, I would say when you're dealing with executives, 90% be bringing insight in advance before you go. So, uh, and there's a whole series of other ones, but I would say facilitative, questions, high value questions. And, and by the way, high value questions are questions that they don't know the answer to, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're going to make them cognate just a little bit uh, on things. And, and, I, and we give a formula in the book on how to craft those. You don't want to use too many because they're actually hard to answer. And, uh, but they're facilitative for the executive because as they think through the answer, it, they start to realize where they are at in their situation, or, right? It, it helps facilitate their thinking. So those are two of the big ways they, uh, that we can add value. And I, I would just add that um, as these uh, sales reps are uh, trying to prepare, that they can go, they can go to my site. And I, I put a whole bunch of forms online. They can just download for free. You don't, you don't got to buy the book or anything. You can just download them. And that will help you prepare uh, your insights for these meetings that you're going to have with these executives. No, that's tremendous. And as you say, the, you know, the questions themselves actually deliver value. Um, and it shows that you are, you know, differentiating yourself probably from a lot of the salespeople that come in because I think as a, as a species still sales, you know, we were kind of almost trained 
that we're, we're you know, we're, we're doing more of the selling than we are the, the question asking and the insight delivering. That seems to me to be a little bit of a newer type of approach to sales that a lot of people don't innately pick up. So a lot of what the training, you know, some of the people I work with, I know you work with is how do we get salespeople comfortable, you know, to do that. So, um, you know, I, th I think you're spot on with that. So along those lines with the executives and this kind of goes beyond just executives, but one of the biggest challenges that I hear salespeople have today is how do I move people away from the status quo, from their, from their comfort level? You know, we hear this, oh, you know, 50% of deals, uh, uh, are lost to do nothing or no decision, which I hate. I think it's a crutch myself. However, um, I think what it's showing is, is that, you know, from a psychology and neuroscience perspective, people are more likely to move away from a pain than they are to a gain. So how do we go in and how do we move people away from that status quo or their comfort level? How do we highlight kind of the, uh, the inefficiencies or the you know, the things that are wrong with what they're currently doing without offending them? No, that's, uh, that's actually a good question and, and maybe really fortuitous on the timing because um, just about five months ago, uh, Corporate Visions released a study that actually, um, they tested a whole bunch of different presentation scenarios to figure out which way that we present stuff is most likely to trigger the the, the, the why now answer or the buy now answer, right? How do we get them to just, instead of just keep going another month and another month, and that happens to us a ton in healthcare yeah. because yeah. they're limping along, they know they're inefficient, but it's not, their house isn't burning down. Mm -hmm. And so they just got other things that they, they want to do. And so they just continue on year after year doing it very poorly because it's not mission critical. And so uh, their, their study um, showed the best way, at least as of today, this is the best way. So I'll just try to summarize what the data uh, was. But what I'd recommend is corporate visions for messaging and presentations is top. It's my favorite, absolutely, hands down. So I couldn't recommend them higher. And you can see they got a great YouTube channel and you can learn all this stuff. But um, this new study that came out, which was done with a, uh, a doctor of uh, marketing in uh, the UK, um, basically, you want to start with either a strategic objective or a problem that they have, and then we want to tie it back to a trigger event or a driver. So if, if your listeners haven't heard that term, a trigger event would be um, new legislation, right? So yesterday, if I said, hey, how are you doing in this area? You say everything's fine, but then they pass a law that changes the, everything. That's a trigger event. And so um, we want to look at what their objectives are, and then we want to look at what's the underlying driver that's causing them to want that objective or, or trying to solve that problem. So we want those two things tied together because we want to talk about how the world has changed and made this problem that they have, okay? And then um, what was a little bit unexpected but came out in the study is in addition to tying those two things together, we need to introduce some insight or some unexpected needs that they weren't thinking about. So we'd say, well, I know you're thinking about solving this, but what most people don't realize is all these other things. And we want to, so we want to share with them that the problem is either bigger or larger than they expected, or that when they tend to try to solve it a certain way, there's a bunch of mistakes that can be made. Mm -hmm. All those, all those essentially are these unexpected needs and what the psychologists, and I'll tell you, um, the data they use is spectacular. I think they had, 400 
B2B executives with purchasing authority over, over 10, it was either 10 or 100 million each. I mean, these are really good samples of people. Mm -hmm. And then they showed these various different messages in different ways to them. And that's how they determined that what I'm sharing with you is the best. Okay. So anyway, so we start with that driver or trigger event. Then uh, we connect it to their strategic objective or the problem they're trying to solve. Then we introduce some new insight or some unexpected needs. And what that does is it destabilizes them for a minute. And at that moment, they're ready to receive new information. They're saying, oh, I didn't know there was a problem. How am I going to solve that? And that makes, that primes them for a solution. And so that's the moment when we can now present to them either our value prop or our outcome statement of how we can help them solve that. It's super critical that you solve both their challenge that they knew about as well as the new ones that you introduced. You don't introduce a bunch of challenges and then don't solve it. That's not smart, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so um, but if you do that, then the next step is you need to, in your presentation, the rest of it is, What's the secret sauce? What's the mechanism of action that's causing it so that you can solve this stuff, right? That's a form of proof. And then the remainder of the proof is things like case studies, ROIs, you know, that kind of stuff. It shows that you can do it. But if you go in that order, right, there's six things there, just to, if someone's are taking notes. You've got a driver or a trigger event. You've got a problem or a goal or a strategic objective. That's number two. You've got an insight or some unexpected needs. That's a third thing. You've got your outcome statement or your value prop. That's the fourth thing. You've got the mechanism of action and then the proof. So those are the six things. So if you put it in that order, according to the study, that that is the most dramatic and most likely to cause the executive to, to get move off the dime. Instead of just continuing on, it's more likely to create a, a buy now type of decision. So um, I know you didn't expect that when you called because that, that, uh, that is brand new data. And so I'm pretty excited about that uh, result. But if they want to download the case, I think it's on the Corporate Visions website. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's fantastic. And think about what a differentiator that's going to be if they're evaluating three or four different companies and you go in with this approach, right? And you, you, know, you go through this process and you teach them different things and you bring this unexpected value. Um, you're, you're going to definitely wind up differentiating yourself, I think, from the rest of the competitors um, for sure. So let's talk about, we're kind of moving through the process a little bit now. So we're, you know, we've uncovered a lot of these needs where we've established ourselves as subject matter experts. I don't want to miss out on the perfect close. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you talk about in the book. How do we start to move these deals through to finish? And what is the perfect close? Tell us. Uh, perfect close is a two-question approach that's non-confrontational, zero pressure, and it, the, the best thing about it, and I didn't call it perfect, by the way, one of my students called it perfect, um, it, is that it either moves the sale forward or we get a close, right? So it just continually moves it forward. So you're going to get like a 90, 95% success rate with this type of approach. And um, I would just say, you know, at, at, like at the beginning of our call, um, you want to have an outcome in mind of what, you're, right. what you want to happen, right? So we can, we can prepare in advance what we want our questions to be as we request it. And we can ask in a way that's, that's not going to create any pressure for the executive on the other side. And so uh, I would just say we didn't touch much on agendas, but I would put a place right in your agenda that says next steps or action items. 
And that's the moment when you're actually going to say this perfect closed phrase that you prepared. And it's so easy. You won't even, I mean, even though you, you'd be tempted not to write it down when I tell you the, how easy it is. Can you but, tell it to, I don't want to give away. Oh, the no, no, of course. Yeah, they absolutely can. So there's two questions. And the qu first question is, does it make sense to X, right? And X is whatever that thing is. So if I was, I was with Dan's my executive, right? And I say, hey, does it make sense for us to do an assessment to see what kind of upside we could get for your organization? Mm -hmm. Well, the assessment is the X, right? The, the assessment is the X. It doesn't make sense to X. And then there's really only two things he can say, right? He's going to say, yes, sure. Let's, let's, it does make sense. It, and, um, if, and of course, if he does, great. I only had to use one of the two questions, right? And we got our advance. Let's get our calendar out. Um, the, if, he says, if he says no, we've got a couple of different options. One would be um, we could just throw the ball back to him and say, well, Dan, well, then what, what do you think is a good next step then? Okay. In that sense, he's going to control it. He's going to tell us what a good, and what I can tell you, I haven't been on hundreds of ride-alongs. I can tell you that uh, what will happen in 90% of the cases is the client will suggest a very logical next step for them that they're ready for. It's when we start to pressure them to move faster than they're ready for. That's when it starts to feel like pressure to a customer. So, and, and um, not to get too nuanced here, but when we're asking, does it make sense? We're not saying, will you buy my stuff? We're just asking if it makes sense. And it's really at its core, it's a timing question. And so they, they can't reject the assessment. They can only reject the timing of it if we ask this way. And that's a very subtle but really important nuance because they're not saying no, they're just saying not right now. And then we can just either throw the ball back to them or you could be a little more facilitative because if you're in enterprise sales, very often the thing you're selling doesn't get purchased very often from a client. And so they might once in a lifetime buy something like that. And so they really don't know a good next step in a scenario like that. So it behooves us to, to maybe suggest what others do, right? And so we can say, you know, other clients at this stage tend to do why. Does it make sense for us to do why? And, and so then we've seeded their thinking. We've done a little priming. And then they can say yes or no. If they say yes, great, we'll go ahead and do it. If they say no, then we can always throw the ball back to them and say, okay, well, what, what do you think is a good next step then? And so... That's what, that's what we call the fallback, by the way, is we just, if we ask our ideal one, which is, does it make sense to do X? If they say no, we say, well, all right, well, other clients sometimes do this. Does it make sense to do that? And if they say no, we say, well, what do you think? And you can keep falling back, but I think if you fall back more than once or twice, it's, it starts to look like you're pushing an agenda. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of that is if they're really ready. If they're really ready, um, you ask it slightly different. So if you say, hey, does it make sense to do the assessment? And you say, yeah, let's do, let's, let's schedule something. Um, then I'll say, okay, well, other clients at this stage sometimes also do this other thing, right? They, they sometimes get our technical teams together. Does it make sense for us to schedule that? If he says yes, then I'm like, all right, I got, I got another one. And, and there doesn't seem to be a limit to the number of add-ons after you do that one because, well, sometimes people also have us look at their version data. Do you want us to look at that? Yes. Okay, great. And you can just keep going until you run out of gas. And then at the end of that one, on the fallback, what you say at the end is you say, well, what do you think makes a good uh, next step? And then at the, uh, on the add-on, what you do is you say, are there any other logical steps that we should be taking right now? And I've had a number of cases where we, we asked our things. They, they gave us all the stuff we had planned on. And so we just said, hey, well, what do you think is a good next step? And several times I had a client say, well, our legal people are slow. Um, is there any chance we could get a copy of your agreement? Hey, I would have never guessed going into this meeting. I could, I could say, Hey, do you want to see my contract? But um, that's just the, 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 the power of it is it's very facilitative, non-confrontational, and they're really in control. 
and all it really does is help us get the pacing or the timing right. So um, just kind of t pulling this back into being with an executive, if we plan an ideal advance and at least two alternates, then when it comes time to get to the action items or the next steps in our agenda, that's when we're just going to ask them the question. Does it make sense? And it's already, you'll have time to ask guys, because it's right in the middle of your agenda, right? Because you're just going to work down your agenda until you see that item. You're going to ask, and then they're going to tell you yes or no. And we're going to either do a fallback or we're going to do an add on. So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's it's at least three. Yeah. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, no, th this is phenomenal. And that's why I'm, I'm recommending this book because it does a, a lot of different great things. It, you know, we hear so much about buyers want to buy, they don't want to be sold to, right? So they're, they're moving forward at their own pace. You're facilitating them going along kind of where you want them to go along, um, you know, which is great, number one. The other thing that's good about it is um, it keeps the flow going. You know, you've, you've established this kind of facilitator, question asker type approach, and you continuing to do that. It's another question as opposed to suddenly dropping the hammer and say, okay, you know, let's, you're, you're ready to buy or what? You know, then suddenly the whole thing takes a weird shift, right? And then the last great thing about it is it gives you just tremendous feedback for where this deal actually stands, right? Um, so many times we see the salespeople, they go and they, they say, uh, oh, we had a great meeting. And um, thanks. Um, just had someone pop it in here. My wife wanted to say hi. <laughs> um, so, um, but, you know, they said, hey, you know, we had a great meeting and yada, yada, yada. But they really didn't understand where they were in the process. So something is being forecasted. And as you said, they, they think it's an advance, but there really wasn't much going on. So you get an accurate understanding from the prospect that, hey, you know what? We're not ready to go to the assessment or we're not ready for the proposal yet. Here are the next steps we need to get to. So you, you've just done so many great things to, to give yourself the information to advance the sale and eventually close it. And that's what I love so much about this. And that's, it, it, the great thing about this, it's so simple and easy to understand, but it's so easy to miss if you're not thinking about this. So that's why it's really fantastic. And I give you yeah. props, props for doing that. And as you say, it probably works so well because now you can tailor what the buyer is looking for, the, the next steps you need to get to, to get to the end of the road, not what you're trying to jam down his throat. So um, it, it's great. It, it really is. So I'm sure you're getting a lot of great feedback on that. Yeah, no, it's been good. And I also, as a manager, I can tell you that it's very helpful to, when you have new employees that don't know, they're not certain what a good next step is. So using the, hey, what's a good next step as our fallback is perfect because the customer will tell them that. So they don't have to be psychic, right? Now, ideally, they will know, right? We can always suggest it, right? In fact, your first question can have a suggestion in it. Your first question could be, you know, typically at this stage, the other clients will do this. Does it make sense for us to do that? That could be your first question. That's a perfectly uh, great way to go. But even if you don't, um, for the beginning of my career, I mostly started with the, the fallback question, which was, well, what's a good next step? Because I didn't know. And, and the customer would just tell me that. And so I learned the process by asking the very simple question. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's a very subtle, but I got to tell you, it's almost magic in the way that it facilitates. And it also just takes all the tension, all the pressure out of, right. um, yeah, I think the reason that people, salespeople, uh, about 60 to 90% of all sales encounters end with no advance being asked for whatsoever at all. Right. And if you look at why would that be, it's just because most of the techniques that are being taught out there for closing sales, 
they're manipulative and the salesperson doesn't feel comfortable doing it. So what they do is nothing. They do nothing at all. So they just, you know, they, they end up leaving their meeting without any sort of advance taking place. This basically solves that problem because they can, it's in alignment with the salesperson's values, right? They know they're not really pushing the customer. Yeah, they're uncomfortable, you know, quote unquote, asking for the business. Um, but doing it, you know, doing it your way, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Certainly the, the buyer is in control in his mind, but yet the seller is really controlling the engagement. You know, like we hear this, oh, buyers are in control. Well, from your book and from everything we've learned, like you've got to be in control, you know, from the agenda to, you know, from the preparation to the agenda, to how you're going to lead the meeting, you know, to how you're going to orchestrate it, to what the outcome needs to be. Um, sometimes I work with people and they, you know, they, they get on the phones and it's like, where were you going? Where were you going to go with this call? <laughs> you know, you know, you're just going to get on and see what happens and see what the customer has to say and then think on your feet and hopefully it all works out in the end. So um, there's a tremendous amount of planning and thought that needs to go into selling today, um, all the way down through this kind of, you know, last kind of perfect close type steps. So, well, yeah, let me let me add a little bit to what you just said. Yeah. There is that there's this perception that if I'm not doing the talking, that I'm not controlling the situation. But that is not at all the case. It's the question as asker that's actually controlling the direction of everything. And so you can, in a very Zen-like way, just ask a very non-confrontational question. You are absolutely guiding the conversation to a certain area. When I say other clients do X, I just set the index on the, con on the conversation by suggesting what that was. And the best part is I'm telegraphing. They know if they say, yeah, time Timing's okay. Well, they know the next thing out of my mouth is, well, why don't we schedule it then? Let's, let's, let's set go. something up. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. It's great. And, and, you know, that whole element of, you know, giving them some insight into what others are doing in the industry, you know, other people that you're working with that you're already helping to solve this problem. You know, these people are, are doing this as a next step, you know, so why wouldn't you do it? You know, and we're, we're achieving success with these clients and, you know, you already told me that you don't like your current state. So if we don't go here, what you're telling me is that you just want to stay where you are. Um, you know, so that's really, uh, that's really what you're saying there. So uh, this is all good stuff. I know we only have a few minutes left. Just give us an idea of what you're working on today. Um, I don't know if you have another book in, in mind or what's, what's top of mind for you um, in the selling game today. Yeah, what I'm working on right now is I am uh, I will be at Outbound in April uh, with Jeb Blunt and Mark Hunter and Mike Weinberg and Anthony Anarino and um, that's all about yeah it's all about prospecting uh, that group that's what Outbound's all about and so I am in the middle of a book called Tactical is the working name we'll see if it lasts uh, it's the the working name is Tactical Prospecting. And I'll be adding some brand new info science uh, to the world of prospecting that hasn't been published up to this point. So hopefully I'll get to add my little, it won't, you know, maybe 10% new uh, uh, contribution to the world of prospecting. It's similar to some of the psychology that you see in um, mm -hmm. Perfect Close. But uh, that's what we're working on. If you want to get an early look at that, then just come visit us at Outbound in uh in april and uh, it's going to be in atlanta uh but it should be it should be good i'm running a workshop there so you Fantastic. can sit in and work through it yeah that's it it's super important too because there's so much that's being done wrong today in prospecting you know we're not going to get into a whole show on that but think about all the emails you get that are completely irrelevant and that just clog up your inbox and they're just 
lazy and dart throwing with a blindfold on. So, you know, a, a more thoughtful approach, uh, I'm sure, is a much better way to connect. But we'll maybe we'll do that on our follow-up. But go ahead, James. Sure. Well, I was just going to say that the big surprise is that there's four things that actually have the most leverage, but it's not what people are doing. And so once we share what those are, maybe that'll shift in the next years. But if, if salespeople would focus on the highest leverage areas, they'll get a lot better results. And I think they'll be surprised where those results actually are. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'll, I'll be sharing that uh, in the book and of course at the, at the event. And when is that gonna be again? It is April 10th, 11th and 12th in Atlanta. Uh, so just a, few, just a few weeks away. Wow. Best of luck with that. If you guys could get down there and meet James, I would highly recommend it. You need to follow this guy. You need to know about him. Read this book, guys. If you want to make more money, if you're watching this, read this book, follow James, and, and go out there and be a modern seller today. This has been an absolute pleasure, James. I really am so glad that I got to meet you. So glad that we've established a relationship and a friendship. I wish you well. I look forward to continued uh, dialogue with you on a lot of these great subjects and, and collaboration. And thanks for joining Sales is King. I hope you can come back again in the future. And uh, again, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Dan. That's wonderful. All right. Hang on a sec. We're going to sign off. This is Dan signing off. Another great show. We'll see you very, very soon. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And have a good one.